Take two. It's Kandashow's okay. Beatle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Beatles Revolution number 33. Wow. I can't believe I've done 33 of these. Ken Dash, I've had so much fun sharing this with you. And we got into such a heavy discussion two podcasts ago about the difference between breaking into the music business back in 1962 when the Beatles first did it and 2018 with my special guest in the studio, John Bulos, who's been promoting music since the mid-70s from Atlantic Records to Virgin to Universal to Mercury, Roadrunner, Back to Atlantic right now, one of the big shots that's there. Sammy Steinlight, who has done promotion at MSG for sports teams, for different causes, and his calling was music, so it's athletes and it's musicians and bands as well that he's worked with. And producer Andrew, who his band, 100,000, working on their second album. This all isn't about simply producing Andrew's band, but it's about the perspective that everybody brings to the table. Me as a lifelong rock DJ, John Poulos as a lifelong rock person in the industry at record labels, Sammy as an independent promotion person and the value of that. You don't have to look any further than the Winter Olympics. American snowboarder Sean White asked about sexual misconduct. He said, that stuff's just ridiculous. You know, if you had a good press person with him, you would have explained how you answer these things. It took a can of gasoline and threw it on a smoldering flame during the Olympics and probably cost himself at least $10, $20 million in endorsements for not being able to handle that. Um, As Sammy called me right away, said, what a disaster. How could he not have anybody with him? You know, I think that's part of why the head of the uh, U.S. Olympic team just stepped down, because it's that disorganized. Let's talk about the music business, how Brian Epstein takes the Beatles, signs them as blown away, goes to every record label in England in the early 60s, and every single one turns them down. Turns them down. 63. Finally, he goes to make a copy. He doesn't accept no. He makes an acetate, an actual record, from the tapes he has upstairs at HMV, the big record store. And the engineer says, this is good. Did you bring it to so-and-so at EMI? No. So they bring it to him and he said, well, maybe they'll think it's a comedy record. We have this small comedy label called Parlophone and the producer who does the comedy records for Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan, the Goon Show records, he might like it. They bring it to him, to this guy, George Martin, who's never known for music, and they simply changed the world because somebody never gave up. And as John Bullis said in the first part of this podcast about breaking into the music business, on one hand, it's completely different. But on the other hand, it's just the same. You have to be great, and you have to do something to get people to notice. Here it is, part two, breaking into the music business from 1962 to 2018. John Bulos, Sammy Steinlight, yours truly, Ken Dashow, and producer Andrew, you have the floor. So the other thing that I, I have now seen is there are quote-unquote magazines that will hit up bands find their email addresses and say, hey, we have this distribution in the UK and um, uh, it's $60 for an article or, or, or 60 pounds, whatever mm-hmm. the, the, the currency is. And they, for that fee, they'll do an interview with you. And we had, a, we had a, a, a band that we know that we're connected with actually fell for this. And I had to explain to him, look, that's not how publishing works. Mm-hmm. They they have an audience, so they don't need money from you. That's how people actually learn about the band because the point of the media is an audience. They have an audience. You get through that audience by having something that's worth it. That's how they have credibility, and that's how it works. And he says, well, I guess we're never getting that $80 back. <laughs> Did, did it, but did the article ever run anywhere? Or no, it it did run. And what's hilarious is we played a show with this band. They're called, uh, well, I won't say what they're called, I guess. Um, I'll say what the magazine is called Firework or Fireworks Magazine in London, purportedly yeah. in the UK. And so we played a show with this band. Our band name starts with the letter O, their name starts with the letter O. So. <laughs> 
this is not going to be good. In the magazine, it's the worst layout I've ever seen. They get emailed a, a PDF. It's like just text, like three massive columns of text with like a little uh, 400 by 400 photo. The band name above the photo was correct. The photo was of us. <laughs> of your band. Of our band, because yeah. they apparently went on this band's Facebook to, do, to get an image. Right. They see a post, hey, we're playing with 100,000, come out. They're a great band from New Jersey. You're going to love it. And they just assumed that that was the right photo. So for 80 bucks, they got your band's picture. They they didn't even get their face in the and, Sammy. And going back to uh, Tony Barrow, the uh, the the, the uh, publicist and press agent for the Beatles, uh, in his book, he has a he has a great quote. He says, "With the overdevelopment of so-called checkbook journalism." Mm. So that was a thing even then. The fundamental yeah. nature yeah. of show business PR has changed dramatically, and in my view, degenerated. Uh, woefully since the 60s and 70s. Um, so, Andrew, to your point, yeah, it's checkbook journalism, I, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and it does happen. Um, with that said, what's your feeling, John Bullis, on publicity and, and its importance to uh, new artists trying to emerge? Super important. We, um, we have a very large press department that there, there are many different reviews that I see that they send that I may not even necessarily know who these magazines are or what these sites are mm -hmm. but again it goes back to planting the seed and we, we're mm -hmm. constantly getting all day long i get press updates i mm -hmm. get constant mm -hmm. reviews of stuff i don't necessarily read them all mm -hmm. i just go that's great we're getting we're getting a lot of exposure mm -hmm. on this artist on this music and it is so critical because it is it's like advertising you walk through times square and there's ten thousand billboards but it means something it, it's, it sends an image. Of course. It, it, yeah. it, it's subliminal. It's, it's it's top of mind. It's subconscious. Yeah. It tells you, I like this. I heard this. I like this. I said this. It's, that. It's, it's, a, it's a massive part of our whole plan to to expose names, music, songs, careers, touring. Mm -hmm. and, and we look at doing things six, seven, eight months before we actually... You know, put it out into the marketplace. We don't Amazing. just like record a song and throw it yeah. out. No, like we yeah. we put together plans for a long time. Now, there's a young band, somebody who's an intern here, and he could write, he could play, and he had a band. They're based in Philadelphia, and he came up here, and it was just one of the best bands I ever heard. I mean, their songs, just from their demos, if they were big, if they were on your radar. You would have put all the money behind them. They had hit songs written. They were that good. The best I've ever heard of the kids who throw us tapes. And as an opening act in Philly in the club scene, they were outdrawing some of the headliners. And they made some noise. And there was a big management company that came to scout them and brought them and brought them to their conclave, their year end big conclave in Denver and the thing. And like I've, my wife and I were kind of like their. Parents, we've done that a lot. We're helping like shepherd kids that don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And not that we know like you do, but at least I know a little something. And they went from you can be the featured artist on Saturday night to they wound up playing brunch in the mm -hmm. lobby on Sunday. And he said, What do you think? He goes, I said, Well, ask them what changed. Ask them, get, tell your guy specifically how come you said, Come on out, you're the Saturday night headliner to come on out, you're playing the lobby for the brunch crowd. And the guy explained to them that, you know, we love the sound, we love all of it, but you don't have the following that we all kind of hope we would see. And once you build up, once you've got, you know, like 100,000 followers on social media, and once you've sold, I'm telling this to Andrew, you know, X number of downloads, then we can really help you. And I said to my friend, you know, once you've done all that work, do you need a partner to take 50%? Where you're just going to hire a guy to run, you know, your band and your social media, and you'll just go directly to Bowery or Live Nation or something and get on a tour. Like the to me, and John, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys taking the chance on a band, like you said, the small band from Buffalo mm -hmm. or whatever, you taking that chance and putting in the elbow grease to get them from just getting going to they're off and running is why you get your percentage is because you put the time and money into it. Well, it's once a band's up and running, but once they're going. But not necessarily because you can, you can have a band. We look to sign bands that have that foundation. 
as well because a lot of artists may get to that number, whatever that number is that they're at, but they want to get to the next level. You still need a mach- the machine, the knowledge. You still need... Derek Jeter still needed a batting coach, even though he was at that level, because he wanted to get up to another level and somebody standing back to say, go do this, go tour this market at this time, go do this TV show at this time, do all the things that we collectively, strategically put together to take a band that's built the first two floors of the house, but they really want to have a five floor house. We can really help build the third, fourth and fifth floor. If they're very happy staying on the second floor without a roof. Many of them decide to just do that. But for the most part, many see that they can keep chasing the dream further and further and further. I don't know anybody that necessarily ever gets happy with the level they're at. Everybody still wants more. That's the drive in this country. That's the drive to be more successful. Okay, I could sell 300 tickets a night. I want to play Madison Square Garden. But that's the sea change that I see from the 60s and 70s to 2018 is that the Brian Epsteins who take a band from the Cavern Club to Shea Stadium and Andrew Lowe Goldham who takes him from Ronnie Scott's to the biggest thing in the world and or you know that A&R guy who signs him and then hands it over to you even in the 70s you're launching bands and bringing them from here to there you know for for Andrew and 100,000 and for these bands to build it themselves, to build it, you said it, and it's perfectly said. He's got to build, Andrew's got to build the first two floors of the house himself with his bandmates. That, Sammy, that seems impossible to get notice, to get to a flare where John or so, a record company's going to go, you know, these guys really got it going on. And we're not even talking about the quality of the music so much as have you done all the work to get noticed? But, you know, you know, but not everyone. There could still be that kid. In, okay, when we signed 21 pilots up at Fuel by Ramen, which is part of Atlantic Records, there were a, a little band in Columbus, Ohio, that we noticed was playing, and then they, they, they played more people the next time they played. And then we went in and, and thought the music was unique and different and jumped on that. So it's, it's, this, there's the same scenario is 40 years ago. You could still hear something the very first time and go, that's special, that's different. But you also brought up the point, if a band's already at the second floor, why do they need you? Because they may want to get to the third and fourth, fifth floor. But it doesn't mean that's the only artist we look for. We look for anything somebody becomes passionate about. And then we look for anything that we think could be the next step in something as well as sign things that are currently happening because it's very hard to know what's the next sound. But where do you look? There used to be A&R guys going out to clubs anywhere and everywhere. I don't see that happening um, anymore. We still have our A&R guys. I think that they, they don't they can also look at data because they may not necessarily be in Athens, Georgia, but they can look at information that something's happening in Athens, Georgia, find out that there's a band there and still go there and see it. We still have a very huge A&R department, but they're not necessarily all employees of our company anymore. They are got people that are out there that are scouts. There's still people scouting. I, I probably see and have a meeting once every two weeks with new bands that are coming in that somebody either is chasing or is interested in signing, that we sit down and we talk to. So we, I have A&R people constantly looking to sign new artists and bring them in. That, that is done a little bit differently, but it's still the basis of, of the foundation of our company, looking to discover new great talent. We just may have different ways to go discover that and utilize different tools to get different bits of information, yet it's still comes down to your gut and your belief in the music and the artist. You still have to have that passion. I still have to go out and work music. I can have all the the data and everything in the world, but I still have to feel that. I still have to believe that that's going to touch somebody in Kansas or somebody in Texas, somebody in, in Oregon to love that to to become a fan of that song or that artist. So that that kind of hasn't ever changed just the process of of how we utilize different tools that are available to us now we utilize it but it still has to come down to that but you and i are 
are two individuals that grew up through an era of music that will fight anyone to say nothing will ever be as great as that, okay? I'll say that, we'll all say that. And But the young kids in my office who love Little Uzi Vert, who's one of a hip hop artists that streams billions of streams, will go, you're out of your mind. The Moody Blues, this is what's happening. So it's generational too. And they would never see our side of the love of the music and the world we came from of there's nothing better than what occurred from when the Beatles to the Stones to Zepp in the Moody's and Genesis and the musical changes that went on that you run on your radio station, you and I will never think anything will be better. I can't because n- that was my love. Yep. But it doesn't mean they will. And it's something that I've, I've always had to preach to people who think that's not good, that was better. And I always say it's different. It doesn't mean... You might think it's better, but this 19-year-old kid that's sitting in my office thinks this is better because that's their love. It's it's a unique, amazing thing about music in that something you love, I could hate. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. I don't like sushi. You might love sushi. It doesn't mean sushi's good. It's not, I don't like it. It doesn't mean it's bad because I don't like it. And that's always something that I constantly try to say to people that it's it's different. It doesn't. It's, it's your own opinion. Remember the very first time I brought home a Lincoln Park advance to my, to my children and one of my sons said, that sucks. Why are you going to work with that? I go, that's just your opinion. It's not fact. And that's the thing about music. Right. It's not factual. No, look, it still happens to this day. Why are you playing that Rush shit? You should be playing Allman Brothers. And the very next call is, why are you playing that country yeah. hillbilly crap when you could be playing Rush? You know, and we understand, but rock and roll's always been a big tent. Yep. Yeah, no, and they talk about being generational. And, you know, I, I think going back to Andrew and a young band that's on the verge and looking and on the verge of, of breaking into another level. Well, I hope so, yeah. Right. And, you know. Yes, no, there, he's totally right. There, no, there is. And, and you know. No, but, and, you know, but there's, here's for, the thing. Just to interrupt. He's working on their, they're working on their second album. Yeah. And it's a big deal. Right. You know, it's bigger than and, you and I, any event we have in our lives. And, and I think you talk about exposure and awareness is generational. And I, I hear today, you know, well, we have the social media. Well, we have the Facebook followers. Well, we have the Twitter and Instagram followers. We, th- we're, we're fine. And then I recently read a story, uh, an article, a blog from, uh, from the controversial Bob Lefsetz, who uh, oh. I'm sure we all follow yeah. and read on our email. And Bob wrote a story titled, Publicity is King which, of course, caught my eye as a publicist. And I'll read you an excerpt, Ken, if I may. Yeah, please. Um, an excerpt of Publicity is King, Bob Lefsetz. It was not supposed to be this way. The Internet was supposed to level the playing field. The future was, the future was to be a vast meritocracy. But we did not realize the Internet would allow everyone to have a voice. And with this megaphone, hypesters yelled for attention. So we gravitated to trusted sources. And those sources are manipulated by publicists. Uh, a feature in the New York Times or the Washington Post. You can decry those outlets as left-wing echo chambers. But the truth is all influencers pay attention to them. If something is anointed, they know it's for real. That, there's money behind, and it's worth paying attention to. No one wants to invest in an amateur product. It's like the stock market. It's like IPOs. It's like Wall Street. Um, you know, and, he, and then he writes at the end, you can read the stories. You can follow them like sports. You can make, you, you, you can make them. But if you want to make them, you need powerful publicity people. Now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, would you think that's more than ever, especially with the social media, uh, uh, you know, kind of landscape yeah. taking over? Because you got to filter through all the bullshit that's out there. Yeah. And right. I think it, it's so critical in, in what we do yep. internally, how we put together our plans. Yep. And the press yep. is so critical because not only do you want good press, but you want the credible people. Sure. You're looking... Sure. For, I mean, there, you can't replace a New York Times feature when in the, the art section Times on Sunday, did, can you? When, when, we, when they did their piece on Kelly Clarkson, yeah. okay, when we put out her new, new album uh, in November, it was one of the most, for us, most critical components of the campaign because yeah. it said, here's an album. She came to Atlantic Records. She recorded yeah. something she's always wanted to make sure. that's in the, in the lane of what Aretha Franklin would do in a very soulful, passionate Album that was the stamp to say she changed a little bit of what made her the one of the biggest stars in the entire planet. Sure, to do something that was great, 
passionate. It shaped the narrative of her, of, her she, of where she is. Yeah. And, and it was part yeah. of what we wanted, but yep. we could never really tell how people will take the music. Right. And that was part of a massive mm. um, publicity campaign that just put us further up on the radar as we, as we went and promoted the first single, and we did uh, a bunch of other uh, things around that campaign, and it helped shape the narrative of her, of her uh, album. Absolutely, and, yeah. and there was, and as we drove into into the the holiday buying season, mm. there was all this great narrative of this phenomenal and artist and music that she put this out. This is Kelly Clarkson, who's and, who's had an incredible career yeah. as it is. So she still relies on it. So whether you're Kelly Clarkson or right. or the one hundred thousand, still rely on it. You still, right. but still, but you know, the stakes are higher for Kelly Clarkson. And when John was with Virgin and he had the Keith Richards solo album, mm -hmm. I remember the interview was in every paper, mm -hmm. in the Times, Rolling Stone, up at, up, up at NEW back then with, mm -hmm. with Scott Muni. And it's a, it was a brilliant album. I fell in love with a great band. And you worked this project, but you've got this known quantity. So how does the 100,000... If you don't, if he doesn't have Sammy Steinlight, right. how does how does one hundred thousand get a review that gets noticed somewhere in Manhattan by the John Bulosis of the world? Fair to fair to ask. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the other part about that New York Times feature is that any anyone else who's covering Kelly on that cycle is going to at least be aware of that mm -hmm. feature and has probably read it. So their questions to her are going to be informed by the narrative in that piece. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what what from my level with my band, you know, there's a, there's like a tyranny of the majority in terms of the other everything else everyone else who's at our same level. So the other part of getting good press is like so this guy has a blog, can he complete a sentence? <laughs> can he actually write on right. the blog because sometimes some nice kid will We'll get in touch and say, hey, I want to review your album. Is that okay? Well, sure, it's okay. And then you read it and you're like, is this, <laughs> is English his first language? Right. You because know. maybe it's not. I right. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe right. it's not. I don't know where he's maybe from. Maybe he's sincere, right, and loved Listen, it. We, we should all be so lucky to have John Landau come to our to our show mm. in Boston and then say I've seen the future I've of rock, future and rock and roll. Right. And his name is Bruce Springsteen. Right. We should all be so lucky mm -hmm. to have that opportunity in our and as a musician and i'm not a musician uh but i'm sure that's what you know whether it's 1973 or 2018 uh, there, it's there's still, still like we've been talking about there's still gatekeepers there's still bullshit right. filters <laughs> right of there all is. sorts right and you need you need at some point someone has to be on your side a whether champion. it's just you need a champion whether it's a guy yeah. on youtube who just reacts yeah. to your you song somebody and, to champion your, yeah. your product yep there's, and, a, and, and, there's a, a guy, there was a musician who was a sideman to a, a second-tier folk artist who wanted to break out on his own and had his first album coming out. And he said, I need a great publicist. I have money. And I turned him on to Sammy. And I asked Sammy, you know, how did it go? Like, I don't want to step in on it. But Sammy always asks an artist, what are your goals? Yeah. You know, what? what's your, you don't mind if I share the story, right? And you know, and I think, which is an intelligent thing. What, how, what is your vision for your career? What would you like? And this 58-year-old sideman to a folk singer said, I want to headline Madison Square Garden. And Sammy said, you know, I, I wish you well, but I don't see a path right. for getting you there. Right. Here's here's what I think. If the if the record connects, if the music connects with people, here's how I see the progress going for where you are in your life. And it just stopped, right, and, and right? it's it and died. it's a component of you know. Bulos talks about the the big plan, mm -hmm. the big machine, that he works on every day with young emerging artists. And publicity is a is a function and is a is a is a is a is a spoke on on, mm -hmm. on the big wheel. And it's an important spoke and it's a necessary Very one important. as earned media is as important as social. Um, some may debate, but it, it is. And uh, um, you know, to, to you know, back to Andrew. Um, I, I think it is a challenge, and I think it's something that I, I you know, I, I think to myself many times. How, how does it happen? You know, and it, and it, and it, and if 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 I'm not next to you, or if, or if you don't have a, a, a representative, outwardly pitching your product and, and getting it out there, so you know it's interesting. But you know, I wanted to ask you, Ken, one question before we wrap sure. here. Did did the programming in uh, you know back in NEW was that? Was that dictated by 
media that you that that uh, was was that you know did Scott Muni, you, well, No, I, I didn't mean it like <laughs> yeah. that. But who who dictated who? Did the media dictate what was playing, or what was playing dictated the media? Yeah. First of all, let Both. me let me just say, <laughs> that, in my era, there a, was no payola. I got yeah. there in the eighties. There was no back Dude, in the sixties. I left you many envelopes. They stole it then because I never got anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just want to say, Sammy's question is probably a lot is a lot smarter than someone who's listening who's not familiar with radio, especially in a major market, might think. Right. Because down the hall, they. They're not first to play anything. They're they're almost last to play something okay. because they want to know that it's a home run. And that's Z100, or, or and that's dunk. why they're number one in sure. the world because first every— and Oh, it's, John, wor- it's working in Boulder? Okay, is it working John's in John's worked with, with Elvis uh, for many, many years, and you know how that's played. Mm-hmm. And it's got, it's, it doesn't have to be a good song or a great song— it has to be a bona fide, there isn't a chink in the armor mm-hmm. hit before they play it, and then they can make it 10 times as big right. as it was. And that's how Z100 is supposed to be. And was Scott Muni like that years ago? Was he did, the, was the he checking of, the charts and saying, you know what, we're ready now? Or was he saying, I want to break? He took it, the thing about NEWFM and why it was the most important rock station in America. Ever. I mean, I'm biased because, but John feels the same way. Be, here's the thing, because it was New York and there were great stations everywhere. But past where John was or I was or whatever, he's got he, – Scott walks away from, from the Z100. He walks away from ABC Top 40 because he hears what's happening in 67 when every one of these records came out, the new Doors album, and Sgt. Peppers and says it's all changing and starts the station on FM and is the first guy and there's no money, there's no nothing – but the music that's coming through the doors at Atlantic and Columbia and, and RCA and all this is all different. And they're bringing it to Scott and saying, what do you think? Because the idea was if, he, if, Scott's not, if Scott doesn't play Jethro Tull or the Moody Blues, mm-hmm. then why is the station in Boulder going to play it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't even about, there wasn't even pay all. There was no, hey, if you pay this, because there was no money to be spent on it. We mm-hmm. just drank a lot. We drank, they drank a lot. There was a lot of drinks. There's a lot of dinner and there was a lot of drinks. A lot of things going on. But but there wasn't money in an envelope kind of thing because it was, let's go out, go see these guys. What do you think? And if Scott liked it, if the staff liked it and they played it on NEW, then they played it on MMR. And well, they the played thing, on the BCN, thing, but the and then you could work, roll them out. And it but, became the way that a, but the way that it kind of also worked before the consultants got involved and they started <laughs> controlling where you played is like, I would, as a promotion person, go up to WNEW and stay there for 24 hours and, <laughs> and spend yes. time with every DJ talking about my musical. How about not only promoting my own stuff, but pulling off an obscure track from the Moody Blues and go, this would sound so cool after this other thing you're playing. Because it was all about the passion of the music and how it sounded and the feeling. And as a promotion person, I had, a, had to have a relationship with every one of those guys. So I'd stay up all night with, with Vince Skelsa and, and Tom Herrera and then roll into the morning show and then end up at, you know, at lunch with Scott getting drunk and tell him, you know, really push this. Here's this, wow. you know, here's this solo. There's the John Lodge um, solo record that I happen to be the local rep promoting yeah. um, back then. And so it was a very unique and an amazing time because the music is what, what drove the, the passion at the radio station, and it was full of great people like Kenny who, that sounds great, that's why I should play it, because the, I'm talking to my listeners who were waiting for me to tell them about this great new music that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. It's something that is very different today because there's so much research involved. Before a big radio station plays something, so much, for the most part, has to go on to prove that it will be successful. Mm-hmm before the, the listeners get a chance to hear it on that radio station. Sure. Whereas back then it was very, very different, unique, something that doesn't happen anymore. No. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example special. of just what he's saying. There was a, a, a crazy, crazy promo guy for Epic named Ray Free. <laughs> and, from Haiti. From Who lived in Haiti. And he would walk into the radio station and play like verbal trumpet. He would walk in and go... <laughs> oh, Ray's here. And before I even got to, to NEW, 
I'm working out in in you know in the minefield in Riverhead at RCN. It was the it was a drive-in the movie theater, the barn. You know it. The screen had been knocked down by a hurricane, and we're in the Quonset hut of the of the operations booth. That this entire studio that we're in now, Studio Two at Q1043, is bigger than the entire radio right, station. Right, right. The studio itself was smaller than the smallest toilet you've ever been in. Right. But in my box. If I come in one day and there's from Ray Free Ken. I know I'm told you love prog rock, you love ELP, and and yes, and the Moody Blues. Check out this thing from Billy Thorpe, Children of the Sun, and this is an album, and it says, "Hey Ken, I'm Billy Thorpe. You've never heard of me, but I think you might dig this. I'm told you like yes, that's what I love too," and. I love Children of the Sun, mm -hmm. and I'll still play it here sometimes on Q1043, this crazy one-time secondary track, and I, I love it. But it was such a personal connection mm -hmm. from Epic to Ray to the artist to me because me, out in bumfuck Riverhead, <laughs> knew it. And then when I get to NEW and I say to Scott, Fats, remember... Ah, Billy Thorpe, yeah, the free show, huh? Yeah, yeah, you, uh, working overnights, fast. Right. Play that whenever you want. Right. And there was such an intimacy to the music you loved. The thing about any dub, Allison Steele's show had nothing to do with Pete Fornatel's yeah. show. With yeah. Scott, it was it was mm. night and day. that was that show. This was this show. And I like to think that the reason Q one hundred four three is thriving the way it is, even though we play hits and. You know, we live in an instantaneous world where instead of having three choices, you've got a thousand and you can turn off and you can watch YouTube or whatever. We still have a personality. Yeah. Maria does her show a certain way. Jim sure. does his show a certain way. I there's a, the stories I tell versus what Carol does. There's an energy to it. And like this this podcast that, you know, I started with Andrew and I said, I want to do it with you because I don't just want to talk about the early days. You're. Andrew's take on the music business is fascinating to me. And whether it's been John Lodge or everybody who's come through, Graham Nash and everybody, uh, talking to Andrew about how he sees it sure. is is a new it's, world to yeah. us. And and it's, you know, one of the things, Ken, you and I talk about is when you do your breakfast with the Beatles, live remotes at the cutting room. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 radio that comes to life. It really comes to life. And seeing the, the you know, hearing the stories or being there to see the real enthusiasm that these musicians, whether whether it's Stephen Van Zant or Mark Rivera, yeah, that they bring to this, to, to they they bring and the energy they bring. These are people that have been they, they play they play the garden. Mark Rivera plays the garden every thirty days. Right. Stephen Van Zant, okay, well he's played the garden, you know, ninety <laughs> times, times right. right? So you know, but but the energy they still have for radio and the appreciation they have for the subject of of the Beatles. Well, people still ask me, how do you get Stephen Van Zandt to co-host this thing? How do you get, how do I, well, the same way I get John Bulos and Sammy Steinlight right. and Andrew Magnata sure. to do a show with me, just friendship mm -hmm. and just ask people, hey, would you do this it's with passion, me? It's passion, passion for and love. Randy yeah. Bachman's coming to do it. He's got a new right. album about right. George Harrison, but he's playing Saturday night and he's waking up on three hours sleep to do this live show with me just because I said, hey, it'll be fun. And my friend goes, I wouldn't say that if it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And he trusts me for that and go, okay. Yeah. You know, it's like this mm -hmm. to get John, to get all my friends together to do this. Right. And people said, yeah, how much do you pay Stevie? Like, what do you think the budget is for breakfast <laughs> with the Beatles on a Sunday morning? A cup of coffee and, and, and a half a bagel. And that's donated by Bagel Boss on Third Avenue. I mean, it's no, it's just asking my friends, going, hey, you want to have some fun? It's crazy. It's early. Because there are people that love what they do. Right. You know, it's, it's right. the thing that right. I say all the time. Do what you love, love what you do. Then it's not work. But there's an appreciation okay? for radio, too, right? There's still Total a real, appreciation. For real quality, strong radio. I mean, they, you know. Nothing can replace it. Right. Nothing can replace it. So, People still love it. No matter how many times I go and I lecture this college and they tell me they, I don't really listen to radio. I ask them stuff and they only know it because of radio. Yeah. Um, and that's why Funny. I started this whole Funny. thing about, you know, I'll, I'll bring up stuff and I go, well, if you don't listen to radio, how do you know that? How do you know about Jingle Ball? How do you know about Summerfest? How do you know this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did hear it. Oh, yeah, I know that song. I, I heard it on Z100. No, I heard it. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I go, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Maybe you just don't admit it. Yeah. Every yeah. time they shovel yeah. dirt over us and go, it's done. You know, The TV's future is 
echo. I keep <laughs> preaching that. It, Every you know morning what? I yell how, to my echo. It's, to it's what Bob Pittman on. said. How you get it, we'll figure that out. Yeah. Whatever. It, when, when music is a liquid that you drink, where, however it comes to you, yeah. we'll figure out mm-hmm. the technology of getting it to you, but the content and honest passion which is what these podcasts are to me and every musician who's come through here. And Andrew will tell you, from the biggest names to people starting out, is all the exact same thing. When, when uh, you know, John Lodge said, I, always, I was fascinated by the bottom end, but no, there was no bass guitar to be bought in Birmingham, England. No one had one. So I didn't, you know, we didn't know what to do. You know, so these, those stories of you know, buying your first guitar, everybody, all these things about why did Paul like the Hofner bass? Why did he pick that? You know, what was the tone that he heard mm-hmm, the Beatles? Mm-hmm. And they've written these stories about how he heard the sound of the band. And my buddy, Billy J. Kramer, always said, you know, grew up with them. He goes, you know, I bought the Hofner bass. It's the only one we could afford. It's the cheapest one. It cost about 10 quid. And he goes, every piece of music, every instrument we had in the 60s, you know why we bought it? It's the cheapest one they yeah. had. Like, and that's the answer to everything. Yeah. Like, so what you could, you yeah. want to, you got a gig. It's a very what, simple answer. I got 10 bucks. What yeah. can I get? Yeah. All right. Yeah. If I, can I owe you two bucks? And <laughs> can I take that one? Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. All right. So in wrapping us, we talk about the music business from the Beatle days and having this champion. Everybody needs a champion. Uh, a final thought from Sammy and from John Bulos. To the, to the bands that are struggling, that are working hard, that are writing, the 100,000s of the world, you know, and, and their struggle as they write and make it. How, <laughs> how does he get, how does the 100,000 get on the radar of Sammy Steinlight or John Bulos when there isn't, there's no Brian Epstein, there's no Andrew Lou Goldham, and, or you know what, even somebody we didn't talk about who I got to meet for years, you know, of, of the people like John Hammond, who launched everyone sure. right. from Bob Dylan to Bruce Springsteen right. to Stevie Ray Vaughan and brought them all to Columbia right. because he was out there going, this guy's amazing. What? Yeah, don't yeah. say anything. Shut up. Let me record yeah. an album. You know, that guy doesn't exist anymore. So maybe he's got the greatest band in the world or it's a good band or it's a terrible band. But how how will you find out, you know, how does these bands, there's a, a kid who reached out to me out of the blue from, from the listeners. His name's Chris Payne, would you listen to my songs? And I listen, good, solid rock and roll band. Yeah, I didn't hear a hit, but they absolutely can play, and they got it. Right. And he's like, what can you do? I'm like, and that's what really motivated me to do all this and ask you guys to do this. Like, there are some really good bands out there who are trying to get to the, I mean, Andrew's on the second rung. They're making their second album. You know, but from the first rung to the second rung, how do you get, Somebody in the industry, like the Beatles and the Stones and the Who, you know, and they had Kit Lambert and all these bands that we love that exploded through the universe. And you too, you know, had had their guy. And they, you know, everybody had their guy who was their champion mm-hmm. who wouldn't sleep until he got it going. Mm-hmm. How does he find that? I'm well, going to let the master off, start. I, I'm, first off, those people still exist. They're there. It's how how did they discover those artists? Okay, he. Just met me. Right. Okay? He has an opportunity to send me music. He's got you as a connection. So he actually has an advantage way more than a lot of people out there because he's in radio. He's made connections. He's got that opportunity. It does not necessarily mean I would like it or I play it for an A&R person that they like it because they just may not get it. It may not be what they want. The timing may not be right. So there's a lot of stars, and, and I hate to use that little cliche, but there's a lot of stars that have to line up where everything works in that in your favor where someone likes it someone else likes it and a bunch of people think they want to invest in it the timing's right for the sound you made or the music you made or for your band but it's making the same way that the beatles that the word got around about the beatles is the same way it works for anyone now you got to get word of mouth you've got to get any bit of your music into as many people's hands as possible now, and there's a lot of people making lots of music, and there's a lot of really good music. There's probably a lot of great music that never gets that opportunity. And then there's a lot of mediocre music that has been signed and has been given that opportunity. And there's been some artists and, and, and projects I've worked on that 
I was like, why did we sign this? Okay, and so that does happen, but I also have those same people you're talking about. I have A&R guys who sign an artist, who sign a band, who have that same passion you're talking about that maybe John Hammond had or anybody else that constantly, what's going on with this? This is, here, look what's happening. Look this, see this. These guys are great. Let me play a different mix. There's, there's that passion still exists. I have those people in my office seven days a week. I'm getting emails and stuff. They're there. Um, how does somebody who's in the middle of nowhere get to to get it in the hands of those people? Very much like it always was. It's word of mouth. It's turning on somebody. It's him getting you to like something to say, I think this is special. Sammy, check it out. Hey, you walking down the hall to throw it on one of the other programs. That's, this is pop. You should check that out. Hey, I think it's great. Let me send it to my friend over at so-and-so label. That's how you have to do it. You have to... But you always have to believe in yourself. If someone's making music and they're not 100% sure they believe it's great, it's going to be very hard for them to convince somebody else that it's that great. And I have people send me stuff. It's okay, but I could do better. It's like, well, if you don't really believe what you made is great. Why did you send it? Right. And by the way, it doesn't mean that if I don't listen to it saying, he's crazy. That's great. Okay. Again, very subjective, and it's and again, it comes down to your your opinion, your gut on the music. And I think his opportunities are better than a lot of people because he's inside this big, 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 big pie. It's a very, very big pie that has agents and managers and club owners and and bookers and record companies and A and R people, promotion people, and publicists. But the kid that's sitting in in you know yeah, bumfuck uh, Idaho, yeah. who doesn't know anyone. It's hey, a nice town. <laughs> I've been there, probably. Yeah, I've probably been. In, I've been in every town in America, and so they may not have that opportunity. So the answer to the question for them is to find it. Okay, the great opportunity today with the internet is you can, you can get a hold of a lot of people. I have people constantly trying to get me to listen to music. They hit me up any which way they can. I'm kind of nice, and sometimes I pay more attention. I'm the guy that goes on the street to the guys who are selling CDs in Times Square and talk to them. Right. And and I'm going, do you want to just make five bucks and con people? Or are you really looking for a future? If you have some really good music, why don't you just email it to me? Um, so there are people like myself, I believe, that will always be passionate enough to find that next thing. I also don't have so much time in my life to just do that with everyone. I have enough of a difficult time focusing in on our own releases because we're the biggest label in the business. We have a lot of music. But don't stop being passionate. Don't stop planting those seeds. The more seeds you plant, the better opportunity you'll have for something to grow. And never never lose that passion to do that. Sammy. And it's, you know, it's a gentleman by the name of Mike Appel. Who, well, it's Bruce. Thank you. Who, who, um, who, who served as a champion for a young artist from New Jersey down the shore in Asbury Park where nobody really wanted to go. New York record label. I, I'm people. from Jersey. I do not want to go to Asbury. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, and, and Andrew, you know what it is. And, and this guy, Mike Appel, who's part of the, the, the real story of, of Bruce Springsteen champions, this, this kid and, and this kid that has this drive because he knows that this kid is going to be there. And he brings him to Columbia and he brings him up to, um, to John. To, 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 to John. John Hammond. To John Hammond. And John Hammond says, well, these, this, this is incredible. These demos are incredible. And this is, this is, this is the next Dylan. Uh, and it's this John Hammond who champions him. And John Hammond, you know, is really part of the legacy of one of the great American artists of, 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 of all time. Uh, you know, obviously John Landau now is the manager and has been the manager, but, but John, but, but, but it was, uh, it was, um, you know, John Hammond had that vision. It was Bruce. John Hammond had the vision. Mike Appel, Mike Appel was the one that championed him and really drove him and got the got that publicity and got that 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 those meetings that nobody else could get and knocked on the door everywhere to to, to make sure that they knew that this 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 guitar slinger from Jersey was was here to stay. I kind of get the sense though that you still need for all the bands that have to do all this themselves that there has to be a guy whose job in the band is not to be the bass player. Or to make some calls, but just like you said, the Mike Appels to to the Brian Epstein's 
has to be a guy whose only his job, his drive 24-7 is to get you to say, this is great. Do you agree? Well, and you is. might say no, and then he goes on. Like like Brian was turned down by every record label and yep. says, I'm going to go around again. I'm going to give myself 24 hours. You heard his quote. Give myself 24 <laughs> hours. I'm in London. I'm going to try one more time. Do you know a guy? Do you know you know the publisher who knows the producer I didn't talk to? Comedy label? I don't care. So it's a comedy record. Record them. Get them in. Yeah. And never stops. You need that guy. I, I think you need... Whether it's Sammy or somebody, you sure. need a guy. Sure, you do. You need a champion to to, champion. to to be by your side and to lead the charge and to and to say you know to say that you know what we're getting to we're get if we got denied five five times this week. Well, there's always next week, and we're going to keep knocking on the doors and keep going. And the question is, how do you find that champion? And yeah, that's going cast a wide net and hope you catch a fish that becomes <laughs> your champion. You know, if you go, I've had a lot of people say to me, "Well, I went to these two labels." And they turned it down. I go, this is a massively big extended business. Go everywhere. Mm -hmm. I have it with people. I want to come work at a record company in the A&R department, mm -hmm. but there's no openings. I go, then you're going for the little pinhole. Why don't you maybe get an opportunity working for an agent, promoter, um, marketing department, and then eventually... You, you make more connections, and when you make more connections, then you have more opportunities. The same thing with an aspiring artist. The more connections you make, the better chance there is that somebody falls in love with it. If you only, I'm not even going to use the analogy of dating, but if you only won't go after one person, and if you don't get that, but you go into a place where there's a lot of people, you have a better opportunity to be able to, to have that date. Ex expand your sphere of the, the people that you're trying to hit with your music. It's it's big. It's not that small. It's big. Good point. Good point. There's a a young man who's is a, doing a pretty good job now managing a, a bunch of good bands, and I was able to help him. He was a sales assistant back here at Q1043 when I first started, uh, you know, back in uh, like late '90s. And he said to me, he came to meet me and brought coffee, and said, "My goal is to work in the music business, and I'm just mm -hmm. here to make connections." And my, when my wife at that point was doing jazz promotion, one of the labels at Verve said to my, you know, her, her connection, her promotion person said, I need uh, that guy, Gal Friday. I need an assistant. You know anybody? And Jane asked me, do you know anybody? I said, you know what? Mm -hmm. This is like two years later. I actually do. And I called him. He walked in. He did all his homework and research and blew the woman's doors off. Like, to be in the hallowed halls that launched John Coltrane and Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. And she took us out to dinner and she said, I was laughing. He had the job before his ass hit the seat. He, he, knew, he knew the whole history of the label. And he worked there for a few years and then to Universal. And now he's a big-time manager. And, you know, giving him the opportunity was one thing. Mm -hmm. I was able to open the door. He ran through right. it. Like right. a running back, yeah. Yeah. you know, with his life dependent on it because he had done all his work, he's passionate, he cares about the artist, and learned every step of the way as he's walked through this ladder. Mm. And, you know, I always think to myself, like, everybody's got the opportunity mm -hmm. to find that. Like you said, we're, we're all sort of connected, but who's going who's gonna to see the whole thing and not say to Sammy, I want to be, I want to headline at Madison no. Square Garden, right. as opposed to Sammy what's here's i want to make my music i want to get it sure. heard right is there a vision what tell me what your plan is to get this to happen mm -hmm. yeah. you know which to me is the right answer mm -hmm. you know I've, how much does it cost and here give it a listen a see if you like it and b we're playing clubs how do i get past this yeah. you know and that's the mm -hmm. that's the real answer it is yeah. i can't thank you guys enough for being here john bulos from atlantic semi steinlight steinlight media thank you and producer andrew um, what did you think of all this? Is it all bullshit, or do you think this was was this helpful? Well, I hope it didn't sound like you trying to pimp my band. Um... No, I, you know what? Because I'm just I'm using one hundred thousand <laughs> as an example. No, but I'm using that right, is the example of of the other one hundred thousand bands yeah, of the kid in Dubuque or whatever yeah. going. I, we, man, we sound good. We yeah. sound everybody. All the other kids think we sound good, mm -hmm. and that's where it starts. That's, That's how the Beatles starts. starts. The kids thought they sounded good. Billy Billy J. Kramer walked in to to uh, Anfield to the dance hall upstairs from an Irish bar, and the Beatles were playing. And turned to his friends and said, "They're going to be bigger than Elvis." And his friends went, "You're dr you're drunk." He goes, 
no, I've been drinking, but I'm telling you, <laughs> they're going to be bigger than, and they're like, you're daft. He goes, looking for that. Right. But he said, that, I just knew. He goes, you had to see it. You, there's nothing, not even Ed Sullivan did it justice. Every other band was playing songs, sure. and these guys brought you to your knees. It was yeah. a great. He goes, yeah. we'd all stand around the, the side walls trying to be cool because you didn't want to go out and dance and make a fool of yourself. Beatles hit the stage. We'd rush the stage because it was the greatest energy you ever felt. Mm -hmm. He goes, nobody else could do that. Yeah. I, why did nobody? They didn't say, come on up and dance. They played and you ran to it because it was like a magnet. Yeah. You can't design that. You know, and that's that's a that's a, a contemporary of theirs going like, yeah. It's very interesting. I I the other day watched that very first Ed Sullivan episode, the whole show. You know, all the in between acts. I just watched right. the whole thing the other day, and and the faces of the people with that energy <laughs> was something that just really. I didn't even know what we were discussing today, so it's very um ironic that I was looking at that, thinking, look at the passion. Look at the craziness. Look at the excitement that's driving these people on this TV show. And again, I think I did it Thursday night. I was in San Francisco watching it on my iPad. It might have been the. It might have been Wednesday. It might have been the anniversary. That that yeah, somehow, that's February 9th. Yeah. Okay. It was so I it was just the last couple of days, um, and I was traveling. Somebody might have sent. Uh, someone said something, and I looked at it, and I watched the whole show. Yeah. That's something that was so unique. Was the people. Because they're the ones that made it happen. Band could be great, the music could be great, but the people have to buy into it, and it's got to be real. And boots the same; those same people and those same reactions happen today. When you go see McCartney, when I saw McCartney mm -hmm. at the Prudential Center a few months ago, it was the same yeah. shriek. But fifty years later, it was that same. When he walks out, it's but that they're same, waving their canes. They're waving their canes. But <laughs> no, it's the, that, that's the joke. But the reality but, is thirty. So forty percent of that audience it's are young. children it's and teenagers, children. and 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 it's the same. Oh my <clears throat> God! Let, when I saw him at the Prudential Center for the first show of this last tour, yeah, sure, this little fifteen-year-old girl came running over to me. Are you can't dash up. You breakfast beer. I right. listen. Oh my God! Just turn me on. And I said, like, you have to email me, and, and my hand to God, word for word. I said, email me and tell me what you thought of the show. And she started to cry, and she yeah. said. He hasn't even come out yet, and this is the greatest night of my life. Right, right, right. right. This is, this is 2017, just... and that little girl is the same as the little girl at the Cavern mm -hmm. and at Anfield yep. and at, at, who is at, at Shea Stadium, who is at the Ed Sullivan Show, the girls grabbing their ears and screaming. Why? The hell knows. They were, they're great, and they play, and they're cute. Almost every band outside of the animals were cute. You know, they were ugly as hell, but they were great. But, you know, why was it just that they were better looking? No, they were all good looking guys. They had that thing. They had that thing. They had the thing. Andrew, for every other band out there, I hope you have the thing. <laughs> right. So I want you guys to, this is so much, thank you so much for sharing thank the you. podcast. This we, was fun, Ken. Thank you. It's, an, it, it's usually I'm on the other side of the microphone. Right. Watching people get interviewed. By you, I'm sure bullets. It's the same thing yeah. with you. So hopefully, it, was it wasn't fun. too painful. No, yeah. this this was just so much fun, and we'd love to do it again. And uh, and and hope hope uh, hope hope uh, people are still listening an yeah. hour later. Yeah. Where, no. where do I send my invoice? Because uh, my publicist <laughs> told me to come up here and do this. It was a big fee involved. Oh, uh, send it to the estate of Ahmet Erdogan. Uh, okay, okay no you... problem. Okay, thank you. Or the estate of James Brown, because they're still trying to figure that estate out these days, as I read. I love you guys, my thank friends. You. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Ken.